You're listening to The Professional Blur, a podcast hosted by me, Jason Klom. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Professional Blur. I am your host, Jason Klom. My guest this week is the delightful James Urbaniak. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Jason. It's always good to be here at the Klom podcast headquarters you you have been such a regular at, at the comedy on vinyl yes. podcast this is the first time you've done one of my other many many yes. many, many 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 shows uh so tell people I, I don't normally do this on any of my shows but tell people who you are <laughs> and generally how much extra work you've done what kind of acting work do you do now if they somehow don't know i'm an actor i do mostly film and tv uh, when i started out in new york in the late 80s i did a ton of theater I'm actually planning to do a play uh, in a couple months. Exciting. I'll tell you about that later, which I haven't done in many years. But, and I'm sort of best known as the voice of Dr. Venture on the Venture Brothers, mm-hmm. and then some other popular slash cult shows like Difficult People on mm-hmm. Hulu and the great uh, Review with Andy Daly on yeah. Comedy Central. Uh-huh. And then many uh, red herrings and suspicious uh fellows mm-hmm. on all of America's favorite procedurals. Sure. Which sure. has been my bread and butter for many times. <laughs> and I started, uh, but before I turned pro, mm-hmm. I, well, I was acting seriously in New York. I had my own theater company when I moved to New York, approximately 88. We had an off-off Broadway company. There was a whole generation of us doing theater downtown in New York back then, a very mm-hmm. supportive community, sort of into the late 80, 90s, rather, mm-hmm. uh, from the late 80s to the late 90s. I was very immersed in that world and was quite happily immersed in that world and was working day jobs uh, and not making a living at this at all. Sure. Didn't have an agent and didn't want one at that time. Uh, and then, uh, long story short, one thing led to another. I started just by dint of being in New York for a few years, I met some directors and filmmakers who then started hiring me to be in things that paid a little bit. Uh-huh. And then one thing led to another, and I started making a living doing this. Yeah. But before I made a living doing it, I did do some extra work. And in fact, very early, my first time I did extra work was before I'd even moved to New York. Okay. I grew up in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. I went to a community college called Brookdale Community College in Lincroft, New Jersey. I'm going to take a sip of water. Please do. Enjoy. Mm. And in the, I, it was around 1984, that ominous year, and we saw a notice that had been put up somewhere that a Hollywood movie was shooting at Giant Stadium, which mm-hmm. was in New Jersey and was about a half hour drive from our community college. Okay. And a football stadium. Yeah. And they were looking for extras to be uh, people attending a football game. They weren't going to fill the whole stadium. They just wanted a couple hundred people in one section that they could photograph and it would look like the stadium was full. They'd come to us. It was a movie called Turk 182. It starred Tim Hutton Uh and Kim Cattrall. Okay. And was directed by Bob Clark of Porky's fame. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) And also A Christmas Story. Oh, yeah. Okay, sure. I believe that's his name, Bob Clark. Mm -hmm. Right? I think so. Sounds right. Um, And uh, and they were paying. You were going to be there for the day, Mm -hmm. like morning, like basically a nine to five kind of deal. And I forget what they paid, but it was maybe... At the most, it would have been $70. Okay, okay. Maybe it was a little less, like 60 
for the day, and that seemed fun. Sure. And maybe we'd get to see ourselves in a movie. Yeah, and course. I think at this time, I had thoughts about being an actor. I was doing a hell of a lot of community theater and college theater, but I wasn't totally sure, and I hadn't moved into New York yet. Wait, what so was I was still an then? amateur. Basically. What did you think you were going to be doing then if you're... Well, I'll tell you, Jason. I thought I was going to maybe be a graphic artist. Okay. Because I liked drawing, and I was a peripheral cartoonist. Mm-hmm. I still draw in the style of a very promising 18-year-old who needs further instruction. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I can probably get into art school. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, a lot. That that's uh, incredibly common, I guess. I'm, I'm trying to think of the other. The, the one that always comes to mind is Phil Hartman. He's the most obvious, like, who graphic Who famously made a living actor. as a graphic artist. Yeah, including a fire sign cover and a Poco cover, a million other things. Yeah, I think the band America, didn't he yes. do one of their covers? Mm-hmm. What was the fire sign cover? Uh, Fighting Clowns. Oh. Very cartoony cover. They're only like, well, not only, I remember but remember that one. Uh, I can pull it out, uh, show it to you later. It's, it's remember great. Remember Robert Grossman did one. Mm-hmm. Memory yes. serves. Yes, I believe he did. And uh, I was, I, I was influenced by a lot of illustrators and cartoonists, uh, so I knew who Robert Grossman was. And also, when I was in community college, at one point, I fell into editing the school newspaper because no one else wanted to. Uh huh. And so then I thought, oh, maybe I'll be a journalist. Sure. And I did that for like a year or two at the school, and mm-hmm. then I kind of stopped going. So at this point, I was kind of a slacker. I was sort of, I think I might have even stopped taking classes at this point. Mm -hmm. But I was just kind of working day jobs, word processing, data entry, probably data entry back then. Sure, yeah. But my friends were all sort of uh, theater kids from the college and around from doing amateur theater at school and in the town. So we thought, this sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. So a bunch of us got together, about six six or seven of us, and we someone had a van or something, and we all drove together. Or maybe we took two cars. It okay. doesn't matter. doesn't matter. The point is, we <laughs> carpooled, and we went to Giant Stadium, and uh, none of us were in the Screen Actors Guild. And we got there, and it was they were like, okay, non-SAG, sit in the back. SAG, sit up front. Mm-hmm. And I had a friend named Nick, and Nick said to me, hey, Let's sneak into the SAG section. <laughs> Let's just try it. Yeah. And, then, and then we'll be closer to the camera. And then maybe, you know, we'll appear in the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was an impulsive youth. Mm-hmm. I said, sure, what's the worst going to happen? They throw us out. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So we see a couple seats in the SAG section. Mm-hmm. We take these seats. And my hand to God, we are like, Two rows behind Timothy Hutton, the star of the movie, <laughs> mm-hmm. and Kim Cattrall. A very young Kim Cattrall. A young Cattrall. Kim Cattrall, uh-huh. many years before Sex and the City. Sure. In her early film. Just pre-Mannequin or Leading whatever. Lady Days, it, yes. Because yeah. Yeah, the movie came out in 85, so I'm assuming this was in 84. Uh-huh, yeah. Probably. Right. Um, and I remember it was kind of a nice day, so it was probably either spring or maybe pleasant fall it wasn't uh-huh. winter definitely okay. it was a sunny day um and i thought this is, and we sat down and there was there were people checking people's sag cards oh okay and for some reason the person who checked on us just said are you sag <laughs> and then i said i'm sag <laughs> and uh no actually i think they had they, they had noticed someone else. Here's the, what happened. I uh, remember this now. Okay. Someone was 
inadvertently had sat in the in the SAG section. Okay. Who wasn't trying to sneak in like us. Uh-huh. And they were like, are you SAG? And the person went, oh, no. And they went, no, you got to go back there. Then, as an afterthought, they turned to me and Nick <laughs> and said, are you SAG? And I said, I'm SAG. <laughs> stressing the I'm uh-huh. to set myself against the loser <laughs> who had accidentally sat it's in the- perfect. Right? It's perfect. And then I think they just I was they just assumed Nick was SAG. Mm-hmm. And they walked away and that was it. We were in. We were free and clear. And now I was gonna make my motion picture debut. And uh, are you familiar with Turk one eighty two? No. <laughs> no. Not at Directed all. Directed by Bob Clark. Uh-huh. Nineteen eighty five. Yeah. Um <laughs> it involves a young man whose brother played by Robert Urich, his older brother. Okay. Remember Robert Urich yeah, from sure. Dallas? Mm-hmm. So this is this is how I remember it because uh-huh. I've only seen it once. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, I've watched this scene several times. Okay, but we'll get to that. Please. Uh, uh, Timothy Hutton's brother is injured in an accident or something, and the system won't help him out. Okay, this is my memory, and mm-hmm. it's set in the New York area. So mm-hmm. like, he he gets fired from his job or stuff, and like meanwhile there's like a cover up. I don't remember, <laughs> but something anyway. <laughs> suffice it to say. A man is wronged by the system, by sure. the corrupt powers that be. Mm-hmm. He's wronged, and his brother decides to make this a, a cause celeb mm-hmm. and make this a famous case and call people's okay. attention to this event. Mm-hmm. The word Turk 182 is some sort of code, and I don't remember what it refers to, <laughs> but it's it's kind of like he goes viral. He starts putting up posters and things saying Turk 182. Okay. Okay. Who knew? The mayor knew. <laughs> but I don't remember what, but basically it's sort of a code. It's an early meme. Mm-hmm. Now, say what you will about the film. It's very early in the sure, sure. viral meme subject mm-hmm. matter. So he puts up the, and people are like, who's Turk 182? And that's that's like his nom de viral a person, mm-hmm. Tim Hutton, is Turk 182, okay. and he's going to blow the lid. So he does it basically in the advertising tradition. He does a teaser campaign mm-hmm. to get New York City aware that there's someone named Turk 182, <laughs> and that someone did something bad, and we're going to find out. So this is that part of the movie, I love it, right? Mm-hmm. Where he's where Turk 182 something becomes a sensation. You know, <laughs> the New York Post. Who is Turk 182? Right? <laughs> yeah. So they're at a there's a football game at Giant Stadium. Paul Servino is doing color commentary, playing himself, <laughs> playing himself. And also, years before Goodfellas. Okay. So this is hurting my brain. Okay. Yeah, I, okay. I'm sorry. No. I hope we're good. not losing listeners. This really interesting <laughs> this description of an obscure movie this from '85. Uh, this is all important. Uh huh. It's all related. To I doubt that. Let's see. So, uh, um, and there's. Uh, Whatever the 1985 version of uh, the Jumbotron was. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Eh, yeah. It was a Jumbotron back then. Mm-hmm. That has words on it and stuff, mm-hmm. you know? Those kind of block letter type sure. yellow letters on green. Mm-hmm. You know, Giants has the score or whatever. Yeah. The game is happening. This is the scene that I'm in. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, the words Turk 182 appear on the screen. He's hacked the, the system. <laughs> Somehow he's gotten inside the football game Love and it. he's put his name on the Jumbotron. So, and at this point, we've all heard of him. It's, sure. It's already become a viral thing. Mm-hmm. So our instruction as extras was to cheer, laugh, clap, bug your eyes out. It's incredible <laughs> what we're seeing, right? Uh-huh. So we're instructed to do this. We rehearse. Bob Clark comes out. He introduces... Because it's just a one section. There's yeah, like yeah. a couple hundred people. And I, again, am like, I could reach over and pat Timothy Hutton on the head if I wanted to. <laughs> and uh, 
He's like, so yeah, you'll get the cue and then uh, we'll cue you with a finger point. That's what, look up, look over there. That's mm-hmm. where the words are going to be. They're not there, of course, for in sure. real life. It's the movie magic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then we're just going to go, yeah, <laughs> woo, you know, that stuff. And I think this is it. This is my film debut. Of course. Jason, I rolled my eyes. <laughs> I cheered. I cla- I applauded the way people do in the movies <laughs> with a lot of energy. Yes. And, you know? The most embarrassing <laughs> shit you can do on camera, <laughs> exactly. by the way. It's terrible. Exactly. Uh-huh. Pump my arm. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Everyone's doing it. I remember I looked back and there was a guy with sunglasses, another extra, just with kind of a big smile. <laughs> I remember this guy. I just have this image. That was his. He did a more subtle choice. Sure, sure, sure. Just smiling. Yeah, he was probably sag. So he's like, look, I'm a professional actor. I'm uh-huh. not going to act like a lunatic. <laughs> I just remember looking back and he was just like, yeah, Turk wanted he too. Look at that. You know. I love it. So me and my friend Nick, we go that we do the take. And uh, we do several takes. And then we're sort of there all day because they, they keep cutting to the crowd. Sure, sure, yeah. Other friends of mine who I came with are back in the non-sag section. <laughs> all right, so. I think I hit every point I needed to hit on that day. Yeah. So time goes by. About a year. Mm-hmm. It's about a year turnaround. Sure. It's now 85. Mm-hmm. I'm still living in New Jersey. I haven't moved to New York yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, still doing amateur theater and mm-hmm. stuff. Probably going to see Back to the Future. Of course. And things like that. Right. <laughs> I see the movies coming out. No one sent me a screener. <laughs> you know, we signed our thing and we got our sure. check for $60 or whatever that uh-huh. day. Wait, you now just to be sorry, this is going to be a boring Place. technical detail. But did you, <laughs> did you have, were there vouch, separate vouchers then or you just, you signed your name and they gave you a SAG rate or because they thought you were SAG or did it not carry that through is to an the money part? You know, that's a really good question. And I honestly don't remember that detail, okay. which is a great question. Right. I'm sure I got paid. Yeah, yeah. I think what happened was I had probably filled out the non-SAG paperwork separately. Anyway. Okay. Sure. And then we just snuck into the SAG Makes section. Makes sense. Okay. So I had put my name and address and that had all been taken care of when we came okay. in. Then we were on the set. We just sat in the set section, fucked around, okay. not to get more money, just to be seen on camera. Yeah, of course. That's something. Uh, that's that's a fun thing to do on set. The okay. movie comes out. Yeah, yes. I'm like 21 years old or something. Yeah. So anyway, the movie comes out. I go with a few friends from this group. Mm-hmm. The scene, I, I'm thrilled. I'm not that into the movie, but uh, <laughs> uh, the football game starts. There's Paul Servino. There's the jumbotron. Uh huh. And I'm watching the screen, and at one point, I don't see myself. I don't see myself. And at one point, I see my friend Rob, who's one of our gang, mm-hmm. who sat on the non-sex <laughs> section, dead center, dead center, in the uh, middle of the screen. Fuck. Woo! <laughs> Just your eye is drawn to him because you see maybe like seven rows That's so of people. Funny. Oh my god. Rob is dead center. If you know Rob, you can't miss him. Mm-hmm. And the scene ends. And I'm like, okay, well, didn't see myself. Bit of a disappointment. Mm-hmm. Whenever they're close on Tim and Kim, uh-huh. they're so close, you don't see two rows behind them. Sure, sure. More time goes by, perhaps another year, mm-hmm. whatever the turnaround for VHS oh, yeah, was sure. in the 80s. Mm-hmm. It wasn't as fast as it is today. No. So another year goes by. The VHS tape is now out. Mm-hmm. I rent the tape. <laughs> I pour over this scene like the Zap Ruder film. <laughs> I rewind it. I pause it. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Nothing. There is no sign of Jim Urbaniak, as that was known back then. Uh-huh. 
Zero. And there's old Rob just going, woo, right in the middle. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Fucking Rob. <laughs> and uh, that's the first time I did extra work. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I do love that you set me up with the VHS like, but no, also not there. Now there's an addendum to this, uh, okay. which is that uh, time more time goes by, mm-hmm. a couple years actually, and then I finally move into New York City and decide I guess I'm going to try this acting thing, uh-huh. work with my company, and then more time goes by, and I start making a living at this in the '90s, mm-hmm. and then in the early 2000s, probably around 2000. I've been making a living for several years as an actor, mm-hmm. and I get a job on what's now an obscure TV show, mm-hmm. but a TV show called Kidnapped, okay. about uh, a kidnapping in New York City. And the whole it's one of these things where it's one story for the season. For the whole season. Okay. So it's police investigators, the family, and I'm a hitman who's in with the bad guys. Amazing. Love it. And they hire me because it's a James Urbaniak type guy. You wouldn't <laughs> suspect him to pull out a gun and kill you. Right. He's a mild-mannered spectacle skinny dude sure who plays the father of the boy but timothy hutton <laughs> and timothy hutton i meet him on the set we actually have a read through which is rare in drama i'm okay. doing a read through dana delaney was on the show as well mm-hmm. and they played the parents and he was a very nice very approachable person mm-hmm. and i said hey and he was very pleasant and i said funny story when i was in community college you were making turk 182 in new jersey and i was an extra and i told him that I told him an abbreviated version of it. Sure, sure. You didn't tell him the whole thing. No, I doubt. But I, if anyone has his number, let's send him the link to this podcast. <laughs> Please. But I was like, oh, okay, it all worked out. That's fucking It great. all worked out. That I is... didn't get seen on camera, but now I'm in a TV show with Timothy Hutt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's remarkable. Do you... Oh, my God. Because there's... Because I imagine you've got a million such stories. But do you... What was your first time on set that wasn't like maybe that? that not like a live... Like, like an actual well, proper yeah. set set? Thing because the first, um, actually, I think the first time I did, I was on an actual film set was Hal Hartley, who's a great, mm-hmm. those who don't know, he's an independent filmmaker based in New York who's been making movies since the 90s. Mm-hmm. He's a great filmmaker, and I've worked with him many times on features. But he had, he used me for a short that he made in 1994. Okay. It was um, a short, and that was and that was shot in in a uh, like in a studio in Brooklyn, and it was me, Parker Posey, mm-hmm. uh, the great late Adrian Shelley, who uh-huh. was a great actress and then later writer and director, mm-hmm. made a movie called Waitress, which is now a big yes. Broadway movie, yeah. who was tragically killed several years ago in New York City, and uh, uh, a good friend of mine named Patricia Dunnick, who was a wonderful actress in New York, good friend of mine, and that was the first time I w- I acted on film. Okay. Now, I'm trying to remember because I, 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 around that time, that's when I sort of started doing that. And I think it was probably a, a, around the time that I started doing TV commercials. And I got into the Screen Actors Guild because I got a commercial that I had been cut out of. There was like a crowd reaction shot. But then I was in SAG. Uh-huh. I was like a featured extra in that. Sure, and sure. Was, and then I did some SAG extra work in my early days in New York, mm-hmm. uh, which was slightly different. But the first time I was really on a set, the way I remember it anyway, the first time I acted on camera was for Hal Hartley in this short, which was called Opera Number One. It was sort of a little comedic musical, uh-huh. like a little five-minute musical. Love it. Uh, and we were all, someone else was singing. We were lip-syncing this, these little songs oh, that Hal wrote. Great. It's a very charming film. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was uh, the first film I did. 
That's remarkable. By the way, I want to just hope everybody's enjoying the fucking soundtrack that is happening in the background that you can no doubt hear. I don't know how well it's going <laughs> to... Hopefully not. I'm going to comment on it anyway, just in case. Watch yeah, it there's a little music <laughs> outside the window, because we're in Los Angeles, the city that never sleeps. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, That's like someone's playing a marimba. It, yeah. Or I, as Robert Klein called it, an African thumb piano. <laughs> you must know that bit. I've forgotten boom, it. Boom. <laughs> African thumb piano. Remember that he plays one. Yes, uh-huh. on one of his on the album New Teeth. Yes, which is mm-hmm. a combination of live and studio sketches. Yes, it is. Yeah, and live then, uh, stand up and studio sketches. Wait, where's the one where he's doing harmonica? Is that no? That's I don't think he, Child of the he does. Yeah, he doesn't do the harmonica bit on on New Teeth. Uh-huh. But he has a he has a little. It's a little mm-hmm. thing you play with your thumbs. Yeah. Boom, 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 boom. And then he does a, a very dated joke, but one that my generation appreciates. He plays two notes and goes boom. And he goes, and these are the things that are used in department stores. And when I was uh-huh. growing up in the 70s, if you're in a department store now and then, you'd hear a tone. Okay. Boom, boom, which was some sort of message for the people who work there. Oh, I see. I see. That makes sense. You know, sense. Uh, mm-hmm. go to, we need you on the floor. Right, right, right. And then Klein's joke is, I suppose many of you, have, and everyone laughs because everyone of that generation Got knew it. what that sure. tone yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he says, it's actually a security device. Boom, there's a woman by the girls. <laughs> She's trying to steal one. Get her. <laughs> so ridiculous. It's a good uh, bit. I love it. Of course it's going to come back to comedy. Yeah, I, I had to way. do a little of your other podcast. No, it's fine. It was it's a little fine. leaking. <laughs> you had to leak a little comedy on vinyl. That's absolutely fine. Do you... Okay, so can we talk... Only because Please. this is the one I know specifically that you were in. Yes. Is the, the fucking Budweiser commercial. Oh, yes. Well, that, that was the height of my... Now, I, uh, my commercial gig. So, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I start to get featured roles in TV commercials in New York playing funny James Urbaniak type people. Sure. I look, I was younger then. I used to wear my hair in a sort of a short, spiky uh, fashion. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. If it was like a comic fashion show or sort of la di da New York type people, yes. I would kind of steeple my fingers and go, ooh, you know, I'm an arty person. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But I did a bunch of commercials sort of in the 90s. And then uh, I auditioned for them. I was on the circuit. Mm-hmm. I was on the TV commercial and voiceover circuit. And uh, Now and then when I'm in New York, I run into one of the guys from that circuit. Uh-huh. Back then, some well-known people were on that circuit, like Nick Kroll and, you know, some of the UCB sure. people from that time. Mm-hmm. We sort of met each other on that commercial voiceover circuit. You, Your day would be, you'd get up and you'd have maybe a few auditions during the day. They were often in sort of the 20s in New York, on uh-huh. the, sort of on the, around 6th Avenue. And it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. But uh, you'd go and you'd audition for these commercials and voiceovers. And so I got a Budweiser commercial. Now, the funny thing is the first commercial I ever booked was a Budweiser commercial uh-huh. uh, that I got cut out of. Okay. Uh, which was... This was a campaign from the early 90s or something uh, where there was a there was a, a funny delivery man who delivered Bud. Okay. A regular looking guy. And this was, he was in a number of these. Mm-hmm. No one remembers this, but it I was like, this was like a campaign for like a year or Why something. Why does this sound familiar to me? That's and okay. uh, get this very original idea, Jason. Tell oh, me God. if you've ever heard this before. Uh-huh. So the one I was in, it's a fashion show, and a lot of Fifi Gaga people at it. Sure. And people are coming out in the craziest outfits. Uh-huh. Women with big crowns on their heads. And sure. Crazy outfits. And then a guy comes in, he's like, did anyone deliver uh, order for Bud? He's walked into the wrong place. Boy. This regular guy with his 
hand truck full of Budweiser. And he suddenly he's on the runway. And everyone in the audience, Uh this is also me making faces like I did in the Uh uh football stadium. We're all like, ooh, (laughs) oh, look at that. It's so bold, right? You get it? Uh It's fun, right? Uh It's a man with a hand truck of Bud. And you know, like a delivery man's uniform. Or like, fabulous. Okay, that's the joke. Uh-huh. Typical commercial joke. Certainly. And so I'm in this. <laughs> My God. And the guy directing it, I remember his name, but I won't say his name, but he was an older man. Okay. Let's call him Bill Jones. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. I, there's nothing bad. I'm not going to say anything bad. I just don't want to. Sure. I don't want to bother him. That's fair. But he was an older guy. He was like a sketch comedy character. He's probably in his 60s. He had a raspy New York voice, long gray hair in a ponytail. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, got it now. And he would tell us to make these faces. This is shot in a big soundstage in New York. A lot of extras. I'm now up front. Uh-huh. I'm now sag. Uh-huh. And the camera goes down a row of like four people. So there's like a lady. Ooh. A guy. Ooh. <laughs> Another lady. Ooh. And me. Ooh. Right? That's the shot. And he's got like a dolly. Uh-huh. And we all get our close-up making a big face. And we would make these faces and he would say, good attitude. I love your attitude. Great attitude. <laughs> this great. And I was just like, this guy's fan- fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And then at one point he wanted to turn, there was like some design element on the stage. Mm-hmm. He wanted to turn it counterclockwise. And he said, move that, move it, counterclock. <laughs> and they started to move it. Clockwise. And he went, count the clock! <laughs> and I remember this guy, Holy shit. Bill Jones, going, mm-hmm. count the clock in his New York accent. You really felt like this is the kind of guy who woke up in the morning and was like, what is it today? <laughs> yeah, 100%. Budweiser. I got it. I'll get some good attitude. And then I made my faces and he was like, great attitude. Of course. Love your attitude. Because I had no words. It was just attitude. God damn it. That's so good. <laughs> and that was my first time i got, got like a featured character in a sad commercial mm-hmm. and i'm like easy street <laughs> the resids are gonna come pouring in right yeah the commercial appears and i uh i think i remember i was living with my uh, girlfriend at the time and i came in and she looked at me and she said i think i saw your commercial oh no <laughs> i said what what, what? And she went i think you got cut out <laughs> And then later we saw it on TV and mm-hmm. they go, one person, second person, third person, cut. And right before yeah. the cut, you see like my left ear for like two <laughs> seconds. <laughs> and I made a video and somehow I, somehow I, 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 somehow I got the schedule for like the commercial through the agency or something. Mm-hmm. Like I knew it when it was going to air because oh, okay. I wanted to tape it anyway. Sure. So for years I had a VHS and it was labeled James's ear. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, that was a sidebar. Though was, it entertained. No, it's great because I actually do. Was I'm assuming this was in the days when residual, or at least, well, maybe it's still because I don't know. I don't fucking act enough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where it's always like, oh yeah, no, book a national commercial and you're set for the year. Blah 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 blah. blah that blah, was blah. the idea. Yeah, like I, you do okay. They they it was different, but everything was sort of the same contract. Mm-hmm. It was before it was like this is for internet use. Oh sure, which yeah, are yeah, different, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. But that's a whole other. Story. But if you get chopped out, then you don't get your residuals. That's what you you're don't saying. get them if you get cut out. Okay, exactly. And I got an official letter from SAG saying you have been cut out. Mm-hmm. So I got my session fee for that day. Sure, but no residuals. Okay, I see. 
another sidebar years later mm -hmm. i got cut out of another commercial and i got residuals because it was obviously a clerical error oh and i must say i never informed them of their error <laughs> <laughs> why would it didn't run that long That's either so i mean so... yeah yeah <laughs> so ah but so time goes by mm -hmm. and i get another budweiser commercial mm -hmm. and i'm like well we'll see what happens remember what happened the last time <laughs> a couple years later and i i i auditioned for this and they and they go yeah before i get it i audition and they say, okay, so it's a bunch of guys. They're young guys. They're friends. And their catchphrase is, what's up? All right. And I'm like, eh, I can do that. Sure. And all different types of guys, different sure. looks, different races. You mm -hmm. know, I'm there. And I'm like, what's up? Whatever. <laughs> and then, uh, and then uh, a couple weeks go by and I get it. In the interim, what had happened is... This uh, commercial had been uh, directed by a guy who had made this as a short. His name is Charles, and I'm spacing on his last name, but we can look it up. Okay, sure, yeah. But he made a movie called Drumline. Later. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Get, uh -huh. get the research department. Mm -hmm. I think he has yeah, a monosyllabic but... last name, like uh -huh. Charles King or something okay. like that. Anyway, very nice guy. He was on the set. He directed. And uh, he had made this short which was in some film festivals, which was just a humorous short about uh -huh. a bunch of young black guys who were friends. Did you look his name? Charles up? Stone III. Charles Stone. There you go. I was yes. close. I knew it. I knew his last name was monosyllabic. Um, and it showed in some film festivals. And it was very funny, sort of rhythmic uh, little short about uh -huh. these guys who just kind of called each other up. They're just sitting around. And they're like, what's that? What's that? And then it would settle down. And then they go, true, true. You know, which was like, yeah, mm -hmm. right. And it was just sort of this little language, this little coded language that these dudes had. I didn't know it started as a short film. Yeah, yeah. This and is they hurting were, my brain. And okay. he had made it in like college or something. Like, or, or I think he'd been gone to film school and it was like friends of his from film school. Mm -hmm. And there were all these black guys. Mm -hmm. And like, I forget where they were. They might have been uh, in Atlanta or something, but I think. But, uh, and so he just made this with like his friends, mm -hmm. some of whom were like fellow students. And someone from an advertising agency saw this at a festival and said to uh, Charles, uh, hey, would you remake this as a Budweiser commercial? And Charles, I, I think to his credit said, yeah, I'll remake it. Yeah. And so the agents, this is all backstory I learned later. Mm -hmm. So the agency was like, well, it's a national campaign, so I want to open it up. Mm -hmm. So it'll be a cross section of guys, you know. Mm -hmm. Couple of black guys, white guy, an Asian guy, whatever. Mm -hmm. And he's like, okay, so they cast all different guys, and then somehow, quite correctly, they decided, you know what, just use the guys from the film because they have such Fair chemistry, sure. and it's so charming, and this is so funny and infectious that everyone's going to enjoy this. It's we're not just positioning Budweiser to black people; it's it's mm -hmm. just a funny commercial yeah. that everyone's going to like, and I. Got it. And so what they did is they, they ended up doing a series of these, as we know. Mm -hmm. There was the main core of Friends. And then there were extra people who were in them. So, like, in mine, the guys are having a party. This is one of the first ones they shot. Uh -huh. And and they're all saying what's up to each other. And they all show up. Like, they buzz. The main guy's in an apartment. Mm -hmm. His friends are all coming, and they're buzzing in. And when they buzz, they go, what's up? And the other guy goes, the guy who lives there goes, what's up? And then the punchline is me, as a pizza delivery guy, hits the uh, button, and then the guy goes, what's up? And they cut to me outside looking like a bewildered white person mm -hmm. with glasses, <laughs> you know, and I turn my head slightly, 
uh, a, 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 a uh, an action that I call the dog. Uh-huh. Which, you know, whenever they cut to someone and they're a little quizzical, mm-hmm. but aren't saying anything, they right. just move their head. They uh-huh. cut their head slightly. Uh-huh. Yeah, it looks like a dog. <laughs> so I do the dog. <laughs> and by the way, every time I watch TV with my wife, and it, the dog is in everything. Comedy, drama. Sure. Counselor in my chambers. <laughs> it's like, oh, dog. And I just say the word, dog. They did the dog. It's, so it's, it's, it's beloved by actors because uh-huh. it shows that you're processing something without sure. saying something. And it's loved by editors because it shows that as oh, well. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, uh, look for the dog. That's remarkable. Yeah, actors cocking their heads slightly. Often used in comedy. Oh, yeah. You know. Right. Jason, but now... I'm disappointed in you. And you <laughs> cut to you going, hmm? Now I'm going to have, I won't be able to not see it in yeah. drama though now? That, yeah. That's going to, okay. So I do the dog and that's the end of the commercial. on the button. Mm-hmm. And I went home and I thought, this is going to be a very big campaign. Mm-hmm. You could just tell because it was really funny mm-hmm. and really catchy. And then it became this very famous, huge campaign. They ended up bringing me back for another one a year later where I played the same character. They did a variation on the pizza guy. Mm -hmm. This time they call in to where I work. Oh, okay. Uh, But yeah, so that was my triumph where I I ended up being in two Budweiser commercials after they so unceremoniously cut me out of the one. That's so funny. But the What's Up campaign was much more popular than the delivery man shows up at the wrong place campaign. <laughs> you know, you got to try a little bit before you you find the one that works. Well, it's remarkable, too. I mean, that is a very smart move just to put the original cast in it. Uh, I mean, that's got, that might explain the energy of that campaign. I think campaign. so. And yeah. I, I got to say, it's to, the, it's to the credit of the agency to think, you know what, this is going to work. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, let's just use those guys. Mm-hmm. Because they just had such a chemistry with each other, For sure. a, a relaxed chemistry, which yeah, yeah, is part yeah. of the charm of that whole campaign. Yeah, and uh, that's so weird. But man. yeah, so then I was doing a bunch of commercials at that time. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then so, but before I started getting like featured parts in commercials, I did some extra work. Mm-hmm. And one day, I, I, I just you, what you would do is you sign up with a, uh, an agency that just handles extra work. Uh huh. And I had a certain look at that time, like when I did the fashion show thing. Mm-hmm. So they were like, okay, it's a, this commercial is for baked lays, mm-hmm. and it's a party. So we want like sophisticated New York party people. Sure. And my look at the time suggested that. Uh-huh. So for some reason, even though I was a Jersey Shore rat who had dropped out of community college, <laughs> I, seemed, I looked sophisticated. So it was a baked lays commercial, mm-hmm. and I show up, and who's directing it? But old Bill Jones, my pseudonym for the... <laughs> All right, everybody, <laughs> let's get some attitude. This is like two years later. Love it. And I'm like, yeah, it's him again. This is awesome. <laughs> this was a big celebrity-filled commercial, mm-hmm. and I am a SAG extra for real this time. Yeah. For yeah. real. Uh-huh. Now, I don't remember if you see me in this commercial. I remember when it aired. It mm-hmm. didn't matter. I, at this point, I didn't care if I was seen or not. Sure. I just wanted to get paid. Mm-hmm. And I ended up making uh, friends with an actor named Peter Giles, who was also doing extra work at the time, and we are good friends to this day. Mm-hmm. We became, and we just s- stood around and made fun of everything. <laughs> like and, you do. Uh, yeah, yeah. I love it. And uh, Peter Giles is, is still uh, uh, a friend of mine. And this is like the 90s or something. And uh, I remember Richard Lewis was in the commercial. Wow, okay. Miss Piggy was in the commercial. <laughs> they had Henson people. Because it's a big party. Kathy it. Ireland, who was a supermodel of the sure. time. Sure. And at one point, oh, this is why I don't want to say the director's name. At one point, <laughs> Richard Lewis, I was sort of standing near 
a corner mm-hmm. and he came over to like there was like a craft table and not talking to anyone just sort of talking out loud in a very richard lewis manner mm-hmm. he went these people don't know don't know anything about directing <laughs> or something like that something like <laughs> oh, these shit. people can direct their way out of a paper bag like something <laughs> these people have no fucking clue what they're doing he said some diss about Bill Jones oh with God. his ponytail. <laughs> and it was such a thing. It was Richard uh, Lewis rather neurotically saying this to sort of no one in particular. He just wanted to get it out. Of course. He was not having a good day. Mm-hmm. So in character. It wasn't even funny. So perfect. Right? So oh, in character. That's Him just mumbling. <laughs> and that was kind of a cool day because usually had handsome people operating Miss Oh, Biggie yeah, yeah, and, yeah. You know, and Kathy Ireland making faces. Ooh. Right. And and the director going, good attitude, Kathy. Good attitude. <laughs> Oh, I remember another thing. He, he was putting down, um, they put down tape for for marks in mm-hmm. filmmaking. And they were putting down some kind of light tape called paper tape. Mm-hmm. And I remember asking for more, let's put some paper tape down here mm-hmm. to mark something. And he was saying in his voice, we need some paper tape. Paper tape. <laughs> <laughs> need some more paper tape. These are my memories. Sure, sure, Is sure. This guy saying, count clock. <laughs> and paper tape. Paper tape. <laughs> I remember me and uh, Peter Giles just stood there and said to each other, paper tape, paper tape, paper tape. I have to assume there's <laughs> no Frank Oz on set for something like this. You, you get the B no. person on. Okay. Yes, and, and actually, I don't remember, but I assume that probably, indeed, Frank Oz probably did the voice later in the booth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That it was just right, yeah, right. T- a temp track. Yeah, yeah. And there were, yeah, puppeteers. No, I didn't see Frank Oz there. And then I don't remember if I appeared in that commercial or not. I do remember uh-huh. that there was another extra. It was a pretty blonde girl mm-hmm. who was an extra, who was a SAG extra like us. Mm-hmm. And at one point they upgraded her, and they like they had her like eat a chip, and they like gave her a close up. Uh-huh. And I was a little jealous. Of course, of course. Oh man, <laughs> she got to, she got to eat a chip. <laughs> I'm just standing here. I would be so self conscious having to eat on camera as the thing as the feature that would make me very uncomfortable I think yes I did a uh, I haven't done too much eating in commercials I I remember I auditioned once for a commercial and I don't remember what food product it was but mm-hmm. it was like for a fast food product oh, okay or sure and there were instructions on the wall of how to eat whoa like it was like for Doritos or something like that okay yeah 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 and it and they had and I took a picture of it which I still have somewhere. Amazing. And it, it literally was, it was like the classic, but it was like, pick it up, look at it, mm-hmm. smile, <laughs> take one bite <laughs> off the corner, chew it, because you don't want to get too cluttered. Sure. And then smile again. It was like the classic bite and smile, but they had very specific instructions. That's amazing. And often when you go in, you, if there's eating involved, you mime it in an audition. Sure, sure. But in this case, they wanted, they had a bag of chips. They mm-hmm. were like, take one. And you had to then do exactly what the instructions had said. I didn't get that one. Uh, 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 uh. I didn't eat it good. Uh, now you just eating. you did mime it with your pinky up. Do you think that was the yeah. problem? <laughs> yes, I, well, I'm a very refined person. Yeah, here in the studio, I put my pinky up, which is how I drink tea. Do you? I am. Re- you know what? I am. You refined. are very refined. Don't worry. Even though I'm a Jersey Shore rat. Yeah, sure. Didn't get a college degree. <laughs> is this first time you saw yourself on camera from a commercial? I don't know if we went over that. Do you? Because I forgot to ask you that. That actually yeah, is a I, better I, the question. The timeline is close. Like when I did Hal's short. Yeah. That was, that was probably the first time. Okay. Because I think I started in commercials a little after that. Mm-hmm. So probably the first time was when he did a screening of that. I actually went to. I remember going to his studio mm-hmm. for some reason, and he showed it to me. That's awesome. And uh, I remember feeling okay. Not bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, like many actors today, I, I'm, 
I want to see myself because I learn from watching my performances, but I also dread it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I dread watching myself. There's some people who won't refuse it. Yeah. I And I understand that. Actors. Yeah. Yeah. Because you, you're kind of like, I did it. Mm-hmm. And you know what? If I want to change it, it's too late. Too late. There's yeah. nothing and I can do. That about. is fair. That is fair. As as Charles Scorsese says in Goodfellas, mm-hmm. and there's nothing we could do about it. Mm-hmm. When you, if you recall. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing we could do about it. He's telling De Niro how mm-hmm. they whacked Tommy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he says paper Scorsese's tape. Scorsese's father. Yeah. And there was nothing we could do about it. Then he says paper tape and the scene's uh, over. Yeah, yeah, it was Charles Scorsese directing. <laughs> and I need some paper tape. <laughs> and there's nothing we can do about it. What did you <laughs> what did you get your SAG card on? I don't know if we went over that. I got the SAG card, if memory serves, on the Budweiser commercial I got cut out of. Oh, okay, okay. So, all right, there we go. Because I was additioning. Here's what happened. I got an agent. Uh-huh. I got a, I, The first agent I got was a voiceover agent. Mm-hmm. I wasn't in SAG yet. And I started auditioning and wasn't getting anything, but this guy believed in me. Mm-hmm. So hats off to him. Sure. And then his agency, he introduced me to their commercial department. I still didn't have an agent for regular acting. Okay. But then the commercial people liked me and they started sending me out on commercials. So it was so it was like the first year of just going out and auditioning fairly often, a little yeah. bit at first, and then they got more and more. And eventually you start to get stuff because you're in the circuit. Sure. It's like playing a raffle, not so much a lottery as a raffle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's only like a hundred or so names to go So you're going to get picked. Your name's going to come out of the hat eventually. Yeah, okay. It could take six months or whatever. But eventually I started getting commercials. Mm-hmm. And that was the first... So when I got that, I had to join SAG. So I basically I broke even on that because the fee I got mm-hmm. cost was like my dues to join right. the union. That's the one thing. Which where back I keep... then was like a thousand dollars, which is a lot of money back then. I've been eligible for like <coughs> three or four years, but uh, what what am I auditioning for that would even pay for the entrance yes. fee? So that's the that's that's one of the many reasons I'm not in SAG. Uh, it's a complicated process, yes. kids. It's uh, hard. It is. Um, Okay, so we did that. I, I, I can't believe that some of the questions I'm asking you, I'm like, these need to be on the card for every one of them. <laughs> Again, this is a, a relatively young show. Yes. Um, no, we went over that. Uh, what about, uh, okay, so we've, we know that the first celebrities you saw were Timothy Hutton and uh, what's her name from Sex and the City? Uh, Kim Cattrall. Kim, Kim Cattrall, thank you very much. Indeed. What about like your first run in with maybe a, an acting hero on set? I'm sure you've got, actually, I feel oh. like there's one particular story. I don't know if. Maybe. Is there one you're thinking of? There's one I'm thinking of, but I don't remember if it's an appropriate story for a podcast. I can't remember. I just well, remember I've... you have a story about one particular person, <laughs> maybe. Well, I've had different experiences. I've met a, a, you know, when you become just a sort of working actor and you're in the circuit, you end mm-hmm. up meeting famous people. Sure. On a regular one. So I met, I worked with Al Pacino. There we go. That's is the that one. the one you were yes, thinking Yes, that of? is the first one. Oh, yeah. Into my so, head. That was a, so that was an HBO movie. Actually, Al Pacino, very ahead of the curve doing a, uh, a TV movie before oh, yeah. every big star did TV. Mm-hmm. A movie about Jack Kevorkian, the suicide doctor guy mm-hmm. from Detroit. And this was, good Lord. This was after I moved to L.A., but it was a, one of the first gigs I got. So mm-hmm. it was, that movie was probably about at least 10 years ago, probably 12. Sure. It's a movie called uh, You Don't Know Jack. Yes. A little play on words there with mm-hmm. his name. He played Jack Kevorkian. And uh, Barry Levinson, the great Barry Levinson, oh, God, directed yeah. it. I didn't realize Diner, that. Many great films. I didn't realize he directed that. Jesus. Great guy. I love him. And it was very, and I auditioned for a nice, I have a nice little supporting part in that as a real life journalist mm-hmm. named Jack Lessonberry, mm-hmm. who was a journalist based in Detroit. And, and Kevorkian was from Detroit, and that's where his lawsuits were and stuff. Yeah. And he was, you know, 
So I was sort of the main journalist in the movie, and I have two scenes with Al Pacino. One where I'm interviewing Nuts. him, and another where he comes to the newspaper office to talk to me about something. Mm -hmm. So I am like, this is crazy. And we did a read-through of the script in San... It was shot... It was actually... The movie was shot in New York, okay. although it was supposed to be Detroit, <clears throat> uh -huh. mostly interiors. And then we did like... They did a couple days in Detroit for exteriors. Oh, okay. But most of it was shot in New York. But I auditioned in L.A. Uh -huh. I got it. And then we had a read-through in L.A. in an office in Santa Monica. Uh -huh. And I was sitting there and just in a, like a conference room. And in walks Al fucking Pacino. <laughs> and it's like seeing James Cagney walk into a room. Right. Just, you know. Good God. Like, look at that. Hey, how are you? He's very friendly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How are you? Yeah. And I'm like, I, I, and we're, everyone's introducing me. I'm James Urbaniak. I play Lesson. Oh, how are you? Wonderful. <laughs> and he was a mensch. He was just Love it. super sweet on the set. He was very, my idea was I'm going to take my cues from him, which mm -hmm. is what I do whenever I meet someone famous. Sure. It's like, if he's quiet and in the zone, I'm not going to be in his face and be like, tell me about dog day afternoon, you know. <laughs> but if he's chatty and friendly, mm -hmm. I'll be chatty and friendly as well. Of course. You know, I'll just kind of take my, but he was always very warm and like we would do a take and then the take would be done and he would like put his hand on like my shoulder and uh -huh. say, thank you. Thank you. That's remarkable. Super sweet. And then we were doing a, a scene. One of the my 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 first day of shooting was this scene where I interview him. Uh huh. Like right into the deep end, like a, a long dialogue scene with Al Pacino. Okay. And we're we're shooting in a diner in New Jersey. Um, I think it was in New Jersey. It's, it's supposed to be a diner. It is a diner. We're shooting in a real diner. Mm -hmm. And we uh, do the scene. Barry Levinson also is a great guy. Very wry. He's very dry sense of humor. We get on very well. Mm hmm. And this, it has a very light touch. Wonderful. And we're doing the scene. And Pacino forgot his line in the scene. And then kind of stumbled. And they were like, fine, cut. Mm -hmm. And then using the, the theater jargon, Barry came over and Al said, I went up. Uh -huh. Which to go up, for those who don't know, means I to forget know. your line. Oh, it's like I've a, never heard that Yeah, before. it's like a theater term. Okay. I went up. Mm -hmm. The English, British people say, I've dried which is a little more interesting. Yeah, you know, I've dried up. I yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, I went up. Uh-huh. So he went, I went up! In the theater, which I thought was very charming. Uh-huh. And then I'd already kind of had a little rapport with him. So as a joke, I tried a joke, and I said to Pacino, are you nervous working with me? <laughs> and Pacino went, ha! <laughs> Mm. Gave me a little love it. God damn good it. one, kid. Kind of touch on the show. not a great joke, but I just wanted matter. to kind of no, 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 that's... throw it out, and he appreciated it. No, nah, if you're gonna have one, it's, <laughs> it's no, that's good. And then my other favorite moment. Well, <laughs> the thing is, it's Pacino, so everything that he did took on an epic quality. Of course, yeah. Like one morning, I came in. I worked on this thing for like a couple weeks, so I was there a lot, and you know, we just kind of were be friendly with each other. And I woke up one morning. I was in a light mood. He was sitting there. And I saw him. And I said, Dr. K. He's playing Kevorkian. So just to be goofy. Uh. Pacino's just sitting there, like on the set. Mm -hmm. And I went, Dr. K. And then Pacino gave me the finger gun. and went, <laughs> And I was like, oh, Pacino gave me the finger gun. Come on. Come on. You know, I I win the day. My... <laughs> Did you have any fear of going up yourself? Because that was honestly my first thought. If it's a long dialogue oh, scene with a yeah. legend, but you were okay. Well, I, guess, I but... was fine. Yeah. Now I got to say, now that I'm in my on the other side of fifty-five, uh -huh. 
I'm 56 now. The brain works a different way, and I have sure. new memorization techniques. Okay. And I did have a, a moment. I had a I had a very peripheral part in like a kind of a a thing a couple of years ago where I had a little speech, uh, and I really had trouble getting through it, and mm-hmm. it was it kind of made me reevaluate a lot of things. And sure. Go, okay, you need to have a fail safe. You need a backup method for when this happens again because mm-hmm. this cannot happen again. Sure. And my brain does sort of work in a different way. And I've talked to other actors. This is also very common, especially when actors get older. Mm-hmm. I mean, older than me, but, you know, that they have trouble with lines. Sure. And once you get into your 70s and stuff, it takes a lot more work. Sure. Brando was a cue card man for a very Brando long time. Brando was a cue card guy. But, all, yeah, he also just didn't want to spend the time <laughs> yeah. working on that. Yeah. But uh, I of... find that, like, learning the lines helps me understand what I'm going to do in the scene. Of course. So it's unthinkable to me that I would just use cue cards or yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not saying, uh, Brando, hey, that worked for him, whatever. Sure. He's fucking Brando. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I don't remember having any trouble with the lines on that. But I think about that in a different way. Sure. Also, it, it is true that once you start worrying about something not working, then... That is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm-hmm. You will have trouble if you worry you're going to have trouble. Yep. That might be my <laughs> issue. Introducing that idea. <laughs> uh-huh. That might be my concern at every podcast that I've yeah. ever hosted. Yeah. Don't. Uh, uh, always. Try, try, to let, try to just ignore that little voice. Bat it away. Uh-huh. Bat that's it away. That's, that's, that's healthy, I think. Uh, okay. Let's, we're going to do this. We have one segment on the show called Five and Over. Yeah. So you pick a five and under. It does not have to be a five and under necessary, but a small part, an unnoticed part preferably a part with no lines maybe yeah i don't know and then you expand it and it does not have to be the same genre or it doesn't have to be a commercial guy goes to another commercial commercial guy can go to his own uh, docudrama it, it does not matter well i would say it would be the the guy who went to that football game <laughs> and was so delighted <laughs> that torque 182 had hacked the mainframe uh-huh can we use that guy? Yes, let's start a character there. that never had a name yeah who was dressed like me uh-huh in the mid 80s uh-huh. <laughs> god forbid uh-huh what does he do? What is his life? He he. Why is he at that football game? I don't think he necessarily likes football. Okay. I think he just likes cheering things. <laughs> so it was doubly great for him that day when he, he went to cheer the Jets or whatever. Sure. And then when the viral thing came up, he's like, "More cheering." <laughs> you know what this guy does? Huh. Every time he lands on an airplane. <laughs> he goes, Woo! <laughs> now this guy is me in 1984 too sure 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 which means he's like 21 years old mm-hmm. he's 20 to 25 pounds lighter than i am now he's uh-huh. rail thin sure super skinny right hasn't quite done the short spiky he's kind of a jersey nerd uh-huh I like this. Yeah. We'd have to use the de-aging technology. Of course. I was going to ask, like, did, did you, <laughs> do we do that or do you cast, like... 100%. Okay. All right. That's We've got to de-age me. Got to de-age you Marvel style. I, or, indeed, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, or the, the Irishman style. The Irishman. Sure. Which, in fact, they just look middle-aged when they're de-aged. They don't, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. De Niro doesn't look like he's in his 20s. He looks like a guy in his 40s playing in his 20s, uh-huh. which I think was the right choice. Sure. It doesn't yeah. look that young and baby smooth. They'd have to do a lot. <laughs> like, there's just only. But so I want to be do. baby smooth. Okay, okay, that's fair. I want to look very young. You can be an experiment, and this guy is a professional cheerer. Do we think, or he just likes to cheer? No, it's just his thing. It's just his thing. That's how he. That's how he. That's how he staves off the abyss. Oh, okay, okay. I think if he doesn't cheer everything, mm-hmm. it gets very dark for him. And at some point, he's got to reach a crisis in this movie where he can no longer cheer, or he's prevented from Indeed. cheering. Okay. Yes. Right. Something happens 
and he doesn't cheer. Mm -hmm. Then he has to wonder what it's all about. What's this all about? Wow. Exactly. <laughs> that is very interesting. Like, yeah. there's a little adjustment. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's like, he's at a restaurant. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, you're lucky. This is our last, our last steak. <laughs> you know. I think maybe he has a degree of, maybe he has luck or maybe he just creates his own luck. Because sure. Because he has such a glass half full mm -hmm. attitude about everything. Right. Yeah. No, I like this guy. It makes me sad that he's going to have to hit I think he, he, Like point. if he gets through a, a, a light. Uh-huh. It's like he's several cars behind. Sure, sure. But he just makes it mm -hmm. when it turns yellow. Now, could the problem be that Woo! he applauds while he's driving yeah, maybe, and gets and then into, he gets an, into accident? an accident? <laughs> yeah, it could be. And then his life is maybe saved by Paul Sorvino. I don't know. We, we have options here. Exactly. <laughs> Paul young Sorvino. Ger Paul Sorvino. Yes. Oh, I like this what one. What do I know about the restaurant business? Well, I don't know. <laughs> this guy. And then at the end, he... What was Paul Sorvino? I mean, I knew who Why he was. Why is he playing what was himself, he... though? Yeah, what was he as... Because he was he was famous he was sort of famous in the New York area back then. Uh -huh. I mean he'd been a, a well known working actor, right? But Goodfellas certainly put him in a new sure, sure, level sure. where everyone knows that character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've, I have no concept of why he's playing himself. He also he was doing he was sort of he was singing opera like on TV and stuff back then. Wow. Oh, he would, right. He would show up on like Live there. at Five, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and which was the local like light news show. Mm -hmm. And I remember he did a little opera. In 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 uh, Turk One Eighty Two, he would like because he's like doing color. He's like, yeah, who flew? Who flew? Turk One Eighty Two. Like he would do a little thing. What the fuck is this movie? Holy it's shit! It's a bit of a mess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not that thrilling. <laughs> I mean, all due respect to the late Bob <laughs> no, Clark, it's who fine. It's fine. he's made one absolute classic, a yeah. Christmas Story, mm -hmm. and then and then you know, uh, Porky's, mm -hmm. which is. Uh, we know problematic cult classic i guess is, yeah is yeah that how we that the category then it gets it's sort of american graffiti's idiot stepchild uh-huh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know sort of 50s early 60s sure peep guys hanging out getting into hijinks <laughs> <laughs> i love your spinoff we'll we'll workshop this off off my yeah head. it's we'll it's happen. very early right now it's okay we'll, we'll, whoever did sam jackson for captain marvel we can can work on you and we'll have to you know It'll be it'll be good. We'll I, it's funny because I was driving recently and I live in L.A. Mm -hmm. and I made several green lights in a row and I suddenly thought maybe there's a character. He's a guy who's never hit a red light in mm -hmm. his life. Mm -hmm. This is his superpower, <laughs> the most mundane, and it's slightly supernatural. Uh huh. Yeah. Because he's like it's contrary to just odds mm -hmm. and real life. Yeah. And uh, so maybe there's something in there. There is. I mean, it's yeah. a perfect symbolism for any road. And then one day he does, and then it's like, what happens the one day he does get hit a red light? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been, like, this guy, I think, is probably in his 30s, so he's, he's, but he's been driving since he was 16 or Sure, sure, why not? So he's 20 Half years. his life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never hit a red light, ever. Mm -hmm. Just never happened. And he doesn't even boast about it. I'm sorry, this is very off topic. No, I love but it. But I feel like there's something here with uh -huh. this guy. And maybe it's kind of a Twilight Zone episode. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Let's contact Jordan And when Peele. it comes up, mm-hmm. In conversation, he's not boasting. It's mm -mm. just a weird fact. Mm -hmm. Like you'd have a friend who's who's not for health reasons, just says, "I've never eaten an apple." Like it just never came up. Right, right, like, right. Like now and then, people <laughs> say weird stuff like that. Sure, they're like, "I've never," you know. 
I don't know what they would. Some, someone, a friend of mine said this recently on Twitter, and I can't remember what it was. I think this is what gave me the idea. Uh-huh. But she said a super mundane thing that everyone's done, but she hadn't. Uh-huh. Whatever it was. Yeah. I've never used a straw. Just right, something, right, right, right. Something weird. Like, so how do you remarkable. go through 35 years not doing this? Yeah. I've never hit a red light. Mm-hmm. It just never have. So I, I, that idea has been in my head. So I'd like to bring that in. I'd if we could that. put that on the whiteboard. Okay, yeah, that's fine. It's Never up. hit a red light, uh-huh. question mark. <laughs> <laughs> we'll contact Jordan Peele. We'll make this happen. <laughs> yeah. James Urbaniak, a picture yes. of luck. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I apologize for... The day the for... cheering stopped. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know when this is going to come out, so I apologize in advance oh, for please. that. Oh, yes. But promote whatever you want. Where can people find you? Maybe some stuff's coming up in a while you can talk about. I don't know. Well, indeed. I Well, podcast-related... Uh, for a, a few years, I, I sort of on and off had this podcast, sp- sporadic, mm-hmm. uh, called Getting On with James Rubaniak, yes. uh, which were radio plays, scripted little podcast plays, and that was on Feral Audio. Feral Audio ended, mm-hmm. the guy who ran it uh, sort of dissolved it, and he, for various reasons, but uh, some of the old Feral shows were inherited by Starburns Audio, oh, yeah. which is like Dan Harmon's like animation production company, and they mm-hmm. have their own sort of podcast network. So I'm doing a new slate of shows for them. Oh, awesome! And it might be called something else, but because it's like a new series. But my writing partner Bree Williams and I have written the f- most of the past episodes were like average, like 15 minutes. They're short little uh-huh. platelets. But we've written a feature-length script. Okay, which is like an audio movie. It's probably going to run awesome. about an hour, an hour 15. Mm-hmm. It's a standalone story. It's like a little audio feature. I love it. It's called I Will Never Lie to You. Mm-hmm. And it's set in 1976. And it's sort of two road stories mm-hmm. during the American Bicentennial. Love it. Uh, so I'm very excited about that. We have wonderful people in it. Uh, and uh, so that's going to... Uh, we're almost... I literally have one recording session left. Mm-hmm. And then... I start to, I already started editing, so, but uh-huh. I would think we'll probably have it posted in early 2020. Okay, that's about the time this is going to come yeah, out. Yeah, so, so it'll probably be uh, no me. earlier than like late January or February okay. of 2020. That's the main thing. And then uh, I'm, uh, yeah, we'll just see. And, you know, I'm, I'm out there. <laughs> <laughs> IMD, IMDB me and... You'll be fine. <laughs> You worked with Al Pacino and you made him laugh. That's right. I once saw him play with a hula hoop. I just feel like I should point oh, that. Oh That's basically what it felt like. He was just rolling it across the floor and his kids were playing with some Thomas the Tank Engine toys and I just yes. I didn't know what to, what do you do with that information other than no, stare that's at it. Fantastic. Him. Yeah, it was great. Ah, damn I went to a Vine. Remember Vine? Uh-huh. And I was in the airport and I had an idea for a Vine. It was called Pacino at the airport. And it was just me off camera <laughs> looking at things and then just saying what they were in a very excited Pacino voice. The people move on. <laughs> That's exactly what I always yeah. think of. Hudson News. <laughs> you know, that guy. <laughs> it's delightful. Uh, I don't know what to promote. Uh, just listen to my other shows. Go to StolenDress.com. That's where all my stuff is. That includes Comedy on Vinyl, which is a podcast about comedy albums. That includes Dispatches from Fort Austin, which is about the TV show news radio. That includes mm-hmm. Dana Jay's Comedy Hour, which is my best friend and I doing uh, talking about our old sketch comedy uh, stuff from when we were kids. James is in one of our albums. Um, yes. And uh, there's only one thing left to say, which is, I'm sorry I missed your thing. I don't own a TV, so. <laughs> 
You can find The Professional Blur on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you find podcasts. And follow Jason on Instagram at Jason Klom and follow his hashtag, The Professional Blur. Hey, it's my turn. Ah!